0: The theme for this morning's message is drinking the cup from John chapter 18 verses 1 to 11. So this morning we resume our series in the Gospel of John, a series that uh, we paused for more than, more than two months uh, back before I I, um, took a trip to Myanmar. Back then we, if you remember back that far last year, we finished at chapter 17 where Jesus prayed his high priestly prayer for his disciples and for us. Today, we, as as we restart our series, we are approaching the end of the Lord's life and ministry here on earth. So in this 18th uh, chapter of John, we are presented with the suffering Christ we are presented with his arrest, his trial, his crucifixion and his resurrection. Without a doubt in in the coming weeks we are going to be looking at some of the, the blackest pages of human history. We will see man at his very worst as he rejects, tortures and kills his own creator if that were even possible. That's what happened. But we also see God at his very best as he suffered and died for sins which he did not commit. He did it for love. He did it in obedience to the Father. Yet through it all, Jesus, we will see, he he manifests a, a strength of character that should give us confidence in our Saviour, in our God. Because in these final hours, um, we will see that Jesus was not some shrinking violet. He was no victim of circumstance. If anything, we should probably see him as a conductor of an orchestra. As hard as it is to believe. So first of all, our first point is his control in verses 1 to 4, his control. Verse 1 says, when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side was a garden and, he and his disciples went into it. Now the Kidron Valley is on the eastern side of the old Jerusalem and Obviously, the, the temple is found inside the old Jerusalem, but it's on the site is on the eastern side of the city. Now, if um, this is a, a picture that I took a couple of years ago, and, and Dennis and Jenny were just there recently, you remember this, right? And where is this from? Very good. See, Dennis was there. Well done, Dennis. So this is a picture from the Mount of Olives, as you're looking towards um, Jerusalem. This is on the eastern side, and there is this valley in between the city and the Mount of Olives. That is uh, the Kidron Valley that runs right uh, right in there. This picture is from east to um, to west, and there's north over there, and south is is on this side. Now our next picture. This is, what, guess what garden this is? Garden of Gethsemane. Now, if it wasn't here, it's within 800 to a kilometre from this spot. Okay, so, but this is uh, these olive trees that you see there, they're about 900 years old. But olive trees are renowned to even be 2,000 or even 3,000 years old. I think there are some in the Mediterranean that are that old. But this is this is what is uh, now known as the Garden of Gethsemane. And the next picture, please. And this is, of course, every special place has a church, which in a way helps to preserve the place rather than having a casino or something there, right? So at the very least, this uh, this is the church there. I think it's the Church of uh, Mary Magdalene, and. The, the Garden of Gethsemane is, is right next to it. So that's where uh, we believe that Jesus went to pray. Now, just to give you an idea, this garden is at the bottom, at the bottom of the, the Mount of Olives. You've got this garden and then you have the Kidron Valley and then you start going up towards the, the, uh, the temple or the uh, city of Jerusalem. Now the valley that separates separates one side from the other, um, as it runs from north to south, is is there's at the bottom of most valleys there is a there is a creek. Now this this creek here, this brook, is is actually a seasonal one. And this place, the the, the Mount of Olives and the garden at the bottom of the Mount of Olives, was a very special place. For Jesus. Jesus used to go there. Matthew 26, verse 36 tells us that. He used to go there with his disciples. It was quite possibly, it wasn't a a plaza, it wasn't a public place, it was a special, it was a garden, quite possibly owned by one of his wealthier friends. Now, in order to get there, Jesus would have to pass, come down, come down from the city of Jerusalem and, and walk down and then he would have to cross the ravine, cross this little uh, brook or this seasonal creek running at the bottom of the Kidron Valley. It was about, I don't know, 200 feet, maybe some, uh, it's about 80, 80 meters from the top to the bottom. Okay, Paul, why are you telling us this? something about this ravine is that it it was used to dispose the blood of the tens of thousands of lambs that were slaughtered during the Passover at the temple just above. Josephus in one of his uh, books on history says that um, there were 250,000 lambs that were slaughtered during the Passover. Just just get your head around that. 250,000 lamb. Can you imagine all the blood that will be flowing? So what, they, what the Jewish people did is they built a, a channel that led from the temple where the sacrifice was all the way down to the creek down the bottom in order to drain the blood that was flowing all over the place. And at this time, at this time, it was a full moon. So as Jesus was, was walking and he was about to, to cross with his disciples to the other side to where the garden was, it, you, you'd be able to actually see that this creek, rather than being clear water, was actually bright red. Just picture it. What an incredible reminder. The disciples didn't have much of an idea, but what an incredible reminder to Jesus of his imminent sacrifice that he would make in a very short, few short hours on Calvary. The blood was already flowing. It was the changeover from the old system to the new. Of course, Jesus' perfect sacrifice. Now it is because Jesus frequented this place with his disciples for relaxation and for for prayer, that Judas knew where Jesus would be. And it appears that Judas, after being dismissed by Jesus from the, the upper room in in verse twenty seven of chapter thirteen, remember the, the words when Jesus told him, he says, What you're about to do, do quickly. Just get on with it. This was the perfect place the authorities might be able to seize Jesus because they didn't want to seize Jesus in the midst of all the crowds. That would have caused a commotion. So they wanted a a faraway place, away from the disturbance. One would think that it was way over the top. If you're just looking for one man, it would be way over the top to send a whole detachment of soldiers, which uh, many commentators say would have been up to 600 soldiers, 600 to arrest a carpenter, a teacher. Little did they know how unnecessary all those soldiers were, of course. If it was not his time, all the armies of the world would not have been enough to lay a hand on him. They didn't know, of course, that Jesus had orchestrated all these events so that he would be arrested. There is no, obviously, there is no resistance from Jesus at all. And in submitting to the Father, he was submitting also to earthly power. And it looked like that's all that Jesus was doing. Submitting to earthly power because he was overpowered. Not so. Not so. He was in fact. He was in fact submitting to the obedience to the Father. Now, what about his claim? Verses 5 to 7. Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he. Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. And when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now this, this statement in verse 5 uh, would have to be one of, actually one of the saddest scenes in the Bible. It says Judas was standing there with them. Here is a guy who was chosen from, to be the 12, to be the special disciples of Jesus, taught personally by Jesus, spent time with Jesus for three years. And yet, when the, when the moment came to decide whose, whose side are you going to be on, we know that Judas stood with the enemy. What's more, according to Luke chapter 22 verse 47, he approached Jesus to kiss him so that that would be a signal to identify him to the authorities that this, in fact, was, was Jesus. Proverbs says to us, faithful are the wounds of a friend, in other words, a friend who actually tells you like it is, who tells you what you need to hear rather than what you want to hear, that's why they say that pastors don't have many friends because they usually tell it like it is. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. The kisses of an enemy are deceitful. So, folks, uh, if anything you want to learn from, from, from this verse is that choose your friends wisely and, and your, your best friends even more wisely. The ones who will actually tell you and sometimes even offend you because this is stuff they're You need to hear. Now this action, obviously on the part of Judas, was agreed, like we said. And uh, obviously when uh, Judas received his money and made the deal with the authorities, this is is what was planned. This is the plot. Let me ask you, when the moment comes and judging by the actions in our society and what is happening, the laws are changing and it doesn't matter, it would seem, whether it's left or right, who is in power, it seems that there is a move to, to restrict the freedoms, the religious freedoms that we have. So let me ask you, when the moment does come and it might be sooner than you think, who will you be standing with? Will you be standing with Jesus? Or will you be standing with his enemies? Oh, but I can't can't offend my friends. I can't really, you know, I can't be mean to them. So, you're just going to, Be a camouflaged Christian, a chameleon, somebody that changes colours according to who you're hanging with. With the Christians you behave one way. With the non-Christians you behave another way. How do you you make a decision? How does your conviction run? Well, Well, let's just see when the time happens. No, no, you need to decide now who you're going to be standing with. Are you going to be standing with Jesus or his enemies? You cannot wait for the moment of pressure. You cannot wait for that moment to, to find out, let's just see how it happens. Because your heart will deceive you. You need to propose in your heart, just like the boys in Babylon, you need to propose in your heart which way you will decide who you will be standing with before it happens. Now, even though in the English language, uh, Jesus' response is after the asking, "Who are you looking for?" Jesus of Nazareth, and he says, "I am He." In the original, in the original language, in the in the Greek, his response is simply two words. He responds, "I am. I am." Um, that should be ringing a few bells, guys. Okay. And, and it's an unmistakable claim to his deity. It, it appears quite often, Amy, Amy, it, it appears quite often in the Gospel of John, that, that combination, those, those words. And, so is it claiming to be God? Notice what happened when he said this. When he said, "I am," what happened? You might have missed this. I, I actually read this passage many, many times, and then I stopped as preparing for this, and I say, "Yeah, it's actually there." The moment that he declares, "I am," they fell backwards. What? What happened? This is a detachment of between 400 and 600 soldiers. These are hardened, conditioned Roman soldiers together with the other authorities and from the temple. Jesus spoke two words, I am, and it's like... ...fall backwards. Now, I don't have the special effects. I'm sure Hollywood can do it a lot better. But it's like this, this wave of power just emanated from him. <clears throat> what was that? Let me ask you again. Who would you rather be standing with? I am. What a scene, right? What a scene. All their swords, their torches. Maybe they're all sort of even burning each other as their torches fell back, one on top of the other. It's like keystone cops right there. Fell backwards. It would be funny. It would be funny except John is, is not trying to portray something funny or the clumsiness of these soldiers. And probably Judas, who was already standing there with them, he probably also fell back. Again, who would you rather be standing with? This was a clear declaration of his absolute, magnificent power, but under control. His power was dialed right back, guys. If all he has to do is say, I am, and they fall backwards, can you imagine if it was just a couple of notches higher? That would have been, right? That would have turned to dust. Where are all the soldiers? What? No! They're gone! It's just, this is amazing. Jesus was not a victim of circumstance. This is why this, this John reminds us of this. He was in absolute control. The powerful victor, in control of everything. Yes, it did look uneven, but not the way you think. It did. This, all these soldiers against these puny little men of Galilee, it looked so uneven. But no, from the other perspective, it was really uneven because all that Jesus had to do was say, I am... And that we're doomed, my friends. Don't don't give into appearances. Don't don't. This is Facebook is not reality. Okay, it's it's your Instagram accounts and all this other stuff. That is not reality. That this is just the, the ways of the world that we are part of. Okay, but the reality is something else. It looks like all our authorities and others are conspiring against Christians, they're conspiring against the church. Despite all the appearances, please choose who you're going to stand with. And yes, his sudden burst of energy, that was an act of grace. And uh, all I can say is, the, is that the Almighty God is his patience, his self control is remarkable. Remarkable. He doesn't even have to raise his finger. His word is enough. This is the word that created the heavens and the earth and the universe. Power of his word. The psalmist put it best the, 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 the first psalm that we read, 46. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. You want to see the earth turn to glass? <laughs> the power of his word. It's all it needs. All the headlines that you see, all the plotting, all the pagan utopian dreams that we've been speaking about the last three weeks, all these powers that try and defy him are nothing, are less than nothing. He raises, he speaks his voice, the earth melts. Contrast that in verses 7 to 9, we have his care. You will notice that all my headlines this morning are with the letter C. If you... Just to help you remember... My points, I'll ring you tomorrow and see if you remember the headlines. Okay. His care, verses 7 to 9. Again, he asked, who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you. I am. I am he. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. And this happens so that the words of Scripture might be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Interestingly, rather than these men who had just fallen over were able to pick themselves up and it's like nothing happened, right? Okay, where were we? Uh, who Who are we asked? Yeah, Jesus. Well, I told you I'm here. Carry on. Some... People think that all we need is a demonstration of God's power and that people will respond positively. All we need to see is miracles, power and people will submit to Him. Again, this is a reminder that faith is a gift of God. It is not the product of some irrefutable argument that you're trying to work up. Yes, if I only have enough arguments, if I only have enough proof of God and, and Jesus Christ, then people will be converted. If I only see his miraculous power, as was the case here, I will believe or people will start believing. I have actually seen, this was very popular in South America, I have seen some televangelists actually do this on stage, that they get their jacket out and they start waving it. And all these people in the front row, they all fall backwards. Is it true? Is it a farce? Hmm. Even if I give it an ounce of credibility, an ounce, right? A a minute amount of credibility that that what happens on stage is true. And these people were knocked over by the power of God. does this mean that suddenly their lives are transformed that they they will forever be changed? No, I can tell you i've I've, I've known people that have gone through this stuff oh we're going to visit you there's some visiting evangelist he does this stuff, he does that stuff and you've got you know you're going to be hit with the power of God and I know these people and I'm saying well When is the power of God going to hit you that your life is going to be transformed? It's like you just continue like nothing's changed. What they do is they go for these religious, it's like a religious hit, right? They just want to be impacted, but their lives continue the same. There's no continuing transformation. It's sad, isn't it? In fact, I... When the, in the Bible, when the people are confronted with the power of God, instead of falling backwards, they tend to be falling prostrate forward in full submission. I'm not worthy. But these disciples, they were Jesus' concern. He was concerned that they not be arrested that they be allowed to go free. Jesus was concerned for their protection. They were special to him. He, was, he wanted as much as he was able to, and he certainly he's able to, but that night that he wanted them to see that he was still under control. He said basically, oh, if you want me, take me, but leave these guys alone, please. And he had full authority in what he was saying because he just knew that, oh, we better just do what he says. Otherwise, we'll, we'll be falling backwards again. I, um, If you're anything like me, uh, when when we focus on something, when something is so concerning to us that we can't focus on anything else, we forget about our schedule. We forget about uh, what else is on our program. We even forget to care about the people who are closest to us many times because we just got something. we focus. This is going to happen. It could be an exam. It could be an interview. Whatever it is, it tends to occupy the rest of our, our minds. So you could understand if Jesus suddenly didn't actually worry about his disciples, but not Jesus. He actually was concerned for his disciples right there and then. He says, please, take me. Despite all the sacrifice, all the suffering he was going to go through, he was still concerned for them. Now, obviously Christ loves his sheep, all his sheep without exception, and will protect them completely. This does not mean that his sheep obviously make it easier for God to care for them and we also need to understand that when the time comes standing with Jesus means that we will need to suffer, carry the cross for his name this does not mean that his protection is somehow you know avoided, that the enemy was able to sneak one in no, it just simply means our time has come In these times, may we never doubt his love and care for us. As indeed many of his disciples, their time had not yet come. They will be witnesses. And right up to the end, they will be faithful to Christ, dying as martyrs. Now, his compassion, verses 10 to 11. His compassion, 10 to 11a. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his ear. The servant's name was Malchus. And Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Now, even though Jesus was willing to submit to his enemies, his disciples were not as keen at what appeared. For some reason, not Luke tells us that it wasn't just Peter who was carrying a sword, but the other disciples were carrying a sword as well. They were ready for a fight. Suddenly, impetuous Pete drew his sword and, and went for the high priest's servant. Surprise attack. You know, 600 soldiers. So uneven, right? And Peter said, yep, I'm going to have a go. It must be said that uh, Peter wasn't the best of swordsmen. Um, He wasn't trying to cut off his ear, okay? He was going for his head, right? Providentially, he only got his ear because of what Jesus was about to do. Obviously, replacing the head. Will be, uh, not impossible, but a little bit more work, I, I would think. Not for God, I suppose. But the ear falls off and Jesus, oh, I can't imagine Jesus even needing to. Okay, where's that ear, guys? Come on. Oh, here it is. It's got all dirt on it. Oh, man. Can we get some detail or something to just clean it up before we put it back on? No, he just put his hand on the servants ear and... Another ear grew back. That's the that's the way that the passage reads. Not uh, John, by the way. You, you you can read that from from Luke chapter twenty two. Now, obviously, the Peter's act would have raised the the tension quite a bit. It was. It was it was very flammable. The situation, spears and swords, and oh, and then Peter goes and does this, right? And Jesus, again under control, does the healing and calms the whole situation down. Now you and I would probably be happy to see somebody stand up for us in a situation such as that, foolish as that might seem. But not Jesus, not like this. Standing up for Jesus is, is not with swords, okay, and, and guns and standing up for Jesus is the way that Jesus commands us to stand up for him in his name. Um, and you might be wondering, why 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 now? Like why why this miracle in, in in this why in this context? Well, it was the last of Jesus' healing miracles, this putting the ear back on or growing the ear back on Malchus. Why do we know the name of Malchus? Did you ever wonder that? Some people their names we know in Scripture and other people we don't. And I can't give you an answer to that because uh, church history doesn't say much about Malchus, but obviously the early church for decades afterwards, they remember the name. And perhaps for Malchus, that encounter with Jesus and the events of his death and his resurrection, they had a profound effect on him. And quite possibly, quite possibly, we don't know, quite possibly he became a believer. He certainly would have had all the evidence of the power of Christ. He certainly would have had a story to tell. We are simply speculating. And most of the followers of Jesus down through the centuries, of course, we don't know them. They go unremembered. We don't have any records of their names. But perhaps the lesson from the life of Malchus is a reminder that none go unnoticed in the big story, that our own encounters with God do matter. Regardless of whether others have heard our names or not, ultimately it's not about the fame, but it is about our commitment to Jesus as his followers. That is what matters to God. Now, um, years ago, I was walking through St. Stephen's in Newtown, uh, which is Stephen Nina's old church. They used to travel all the way from here to Newtown. Anyway, you can need to ask them about that one, until they found us, of course. No, just kidding. (laughs) But in in St. Stephen's, there there is a cemetery. It's a beautiful old cemetery because of... This is one of the, the plaques that you find in the, in the cemetery. A lot of the, the tombs have uh, written stuff on it. They've got names. But this is, this is, I love this. It says, In memory of the humble, to the many humble, undistinguished, unknown, unremembered folk buried in this cemetery, whose names are not written in the book of history but are written in the book of life. How good is that? How good is that? Hey? I, I, I find that is, it's, it's so true because that is, the, that is the place where you want your name to be remembered, right? In the book of life. And finally, his commission. In verse the second part of verse 11, just a very short sentence, a uh, question actually. Shall I not drink the cup but the Father has given me his commission. In the Old Testament, drinking the cup is often associated with judgment. Jeremiah the prophet said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. Take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. So when Jesus told Peter that he had to drink from his father's cup, He was saying he had to drink the cup of God's wrath that we were supposed to drink, God's wrath against him, that Jesus was going to drink it. What's more, Jesus' words also mean, this is what my father has planned, don't fight against it. I think this is something that we guilty of many times, isn't we? So many times we think we know better. We know best. Not so. Jesus was absolutely determined to go to the cross. Had this been you or I, we would have been looking for a way out, a deal or something. But you and I should be Tremendously grateful this morning, eternally grateful that Jesus did not flinch in the face of Calvary. I'm thankful that he was willing to go to the cross and die for my sins and your sins so that you and I can be forgiven and saved. That even with the burden of Calvary on his shoulders, he continued to care for his friends and his enemies and he even in his prayer prayed for you and me right now I tell you we serve a wonderful amazing Lord who deserves to be exalted who deserves to be praised who gave gave it all for you and me and died a death that we deserved but we were given grace what a saviour what a saviour indeed all glory be to him Amen.